Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spannersready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpitz. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going great. Are you kidding me? I've been looking forward to the show ever since you told me who was going to be on it. Well, that's right. We put on social media, who'd like to see Matthew Carter back? And I think that was our most liked tweet of all time. So Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus team boss, is here waiting in the wings. And I'm well aware that that's what people are here for. But first, I've just got a little bit of Missed Apex admin to sort out. Firstly, we are going to be here next Sunday at 8pm to do our season finale race review at Abu Dhabi before we get into our winter programme. We're going to be with you all winter, so we're going to ask you to stick with us and stay subscribed over winter as well. Lots of kind of off-topic F1 chat, as well as looking forward to the new season as well. Also, on Tuesday night at 8pm, we are going to be doing the first Missed Apex iRacing session. So Tuesday night, 8pm, if you are an iRacer, come along and join us. You have to just go to iRacing and search for Map Race, and the password will be Spanners. So feel free to jump in there. We'll have the chat open as well, and it will be good times. And also, while I've got your attention, why not consider going to patreon.com forward slash Apex and checking out what you can get by being a patron. But we're joined by ex-Lotus team boss Matthew Carter. How's it going, Matthew? Very good. How are you? Good, thank you. It was great chatting to you over text after the last race when the Ocon Verstappen incident happened because, of course, you have been in a similar position to Christian Horner. Firstly, though, let's get your take on that Ocon uh, Verstappen incident because people were very quick to jump down Ocon's throat. I'm Team Ocon. I know everybody else was kind of Team Max in that situation. How did you call it? And then how did you find yourself when you were in that similar position? If if I was allowed to call it 50-50, I probably would have called it 50-50. Nope. But I, I appreciate that's against the rules of the podcast. Um, I honestly would place the blame with Verstappen. 
Oh, go on, tell us why. Go on, tell us why. Uh, just because if, if you look at exactly what happened, and I thought it was interesting, I don't know if you saw Lewis talking to him in the cool-down room afterwards, when he said something along the lines of, dude, you're the one that's got more to lose than him, which is exactly it. I mean, there's, there's history between the two of them. You have to remember that. And for sure, when he saw... Ocon coming at him well well from both sides I would say so I'm sure Ocon realized it was Verstappen and that he was going quicker than him and he was going to try and put a move on him just for his own uh, vanity and I think that Verstappen saw him coming and thought there's no way I'm going to allow uh, I'm going to allow him to go past me and close the door on him and he and he did close the door on him quite hard in a typical Verstappen and I think there's a little bit of petulance there as well from Verstappen. I think there's a little bit of uh, I'm entitled. People have talked a lot this season about the fact that he, when he goes into those situations, people back out because they know he's not going to give. And I know people will say it's a Senna-Schumacher type of uh, attitude, but unfortunately, every so often, it's going to lead to him crashing out of a race lead like that. Maybe has he got it into his head? Is he kind of bought into his own hype that people will definitely jump out of the way because he is, after all, Max Verstappen? Well, I can't speak for him, obviously, <laughs> but that is that's certainly what I see on track a lot. And I think, you know, you listen to the way that he talks back to the team over the radio and and just the way that he puts his car in places that um I think probably because he's not actually fighting for the title. And if next year, fingers crossed, uh, Red Bull get their act together and he's fighting for the title, then maybe he'll, uh, at the risk of the haters, grow up a little bit. <laughs> oh, um, but I genuinely think he should have backed out. He should have let Ocon go past. He would have had DRS down the next straight. He could have taken him then. Ocon's tyres, if they were only going to be good for another few laps, he would have got him at some point. So I think he should have probably been the bigger person in the, in the, in the, in the corner and backed out. Tell us a little bit about when you were in this situation, because you, uh, you of course, were the team boss when Grosjean did a similar thing with a backmarker. Uh, yeah, OK. So, so what, yeah, similar. Obviously, Grosjean wasn't leading the race. Um, but what happened was, uh, well, actually, it actually goes to the race before. So it happened in Canada in 2015. Um, but it actually went to the race before that, or maybe two races before that. There was a lot of problems with, um, or a lot of discussions between the drivers regarding backmarkers uh, observing blue flags. And all the drivers sat in their room and they were particularly annoyed with the two manners. Um, they were catching them reasonably regularly at most Grand Prix. So there was a big discussion in the drivers, in the drivers meeting, I think after Monaco and before Montreal, where they talked about the blue flags and they talked about how drivers were going to respect them a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. So Monaco was uh, obviously difficult because you can't overtake there. And if they don't move out the way, it makes it very, very difficult. Yeah. Roman had a huge crash in Monaco, if you remember, with uh, the aforementioned Verstappen smashed into him at the end of the straight, trying to overtake him. So Roman wasn't in the best of moods because he probably should have got some points in Monaco. Fast forward to Montreal, and we had probably our best qualifying that we'd ever had while I was in charge. So the two cars qualified fifth and sixth. I think from memory, memory there was something wrong with Vettel's Ferrari, so he wasn't in the top. So otherwise, it was the usual suspects with the, with the top four. And then we were fifth and sixth, um, with Roman fifth and, and Pastor sixth. So it was a great qualifying for us. And then the race started to pan out in a similar way. And from memory, again, Roman was as a fifth or sixth, and he came up behind the manners uh, and felt over the radio quite vehemently that they didn't move out the way fast enough for him. Eventually, they let him through, and he continued on his race. And then he came in to do his pit stop, and he came out behind specifically Will Stevens again, 
And I think he spent, so he came out on yeah. faster tyres and Will Stevens was obviously considerably slower. And, uh, and he came over the radio and he was getting more and more agitated as the lap was going on. He was effing and blinding down the radio. He was telling us to tell Charlie Whiting that this is a joke, that um, Stevens obviously hadn't been listening in the driver meeting, et cetera, et cetera. And then he came down the final, the, the back straight, if you like. So there's a chicane that leads into the, into the pit straight. He came down that back straight, and as he overtook him, he then sharply turned in to the left as a kind of back off, sod you kind of a manoeuvre. So he was, they, they were kind of side by side, and he veered in like that to, to kind of give him a warning, but slightly misjudged it. And Stephen's front wing hit Roman's rear left tyre, literally at the chicane, so he was at the entrance to the pit. So Roman came over the radio blaming Stevens, had to come into the pits again, even though he'd just been in three or four laps before. The stewards had judged it to be his fault and he got a five-second drive-through penalty. Uh, still managed to finish the race in 10th with Pastor in 7th. But yeah, so that whole That's... back markers, not being entitled to be there, they shouldn't be there, they should get out the way, I'm trying to get on with my race kind of mentality was was exactly what was going on in his head. What on earth do you say to a driver in that situation? Because that is the kind of thing you expect when you've been held up on the A14 or something like that for a long time. And you've just got to somehow, you've got to show that truck that took slightly too long to overtake the other truck to just cut in like in front. And you, you often wonder how that doesn't end up in a collision more often. But to see it from a professional athlete in that sport, I mean, you must have been, you must have been sat there with your head in your hands. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's very, very difficult because you do need that. You need that little bit of aggression, that little bit of um, a little, something a little bit dynamic in a race driver. He needs to be, you know, as the famous Senna quotes, if you, if you don't go for the gap or whatever, you know, but he, there needs to be that edge to them, but it, you also need to curb it and contain it. And you also need to be able to say to them, look, you know, as Hamilton said to Verstappen in the cool down room last weekend, you know, you've got more to lose than him. You know, what are you gaining <laughs> by swerving in front of Will Stevens? Because, but it was, but you could see the build up as well. So you could see the build up had come over. That was why my answer was a little bit longer than it should have been, maybe. But you can see the build up from race to race to race. It was constantly, it was, it was building in their heads. Both he and Pastor that season had collided with each other a couple of times. Um, and there was a lot of tension between the two of them. And I'd had a meeting with the two of them beforehand and said, look, We've qualified fifth and sixth. This is a great opportunity here for us <laughs> oh, to get some no. big points. We were sort of toing and froing with Force India over uh, over fifth place in the championship at the time, which, we sh- which which is huge. I mean, if we'd have beaten Force India, it was another 10 million that we would have got at the end of the season round figures. So I remember talking to the two of them beforehand and saying, look, just keep it clean. You know, we've got quick cars. You know, don't nothing's going to happen on the first lap. You know, you can take your time. Um, but he just got more and more, I mean, you know, he felt that his strategy was being thrown off by this manner, um, blocking him or not pulling over. So it was going to affect his race. It was going to affect how his strategy was going to play out. So, but Is it a bit like answer- with my, my kids this morning? Because he has this habit of running out into the road and stopping just before the road, and it frightens all the cars. And, uh, and, and like I had a really long chat with him, and he actually he did it within 20 minutes of our trip out. And you kind of go, what did I just say? What Were you there with Roman Grosjean saying, what did I what did we just talk about? A little bit of that, yeah. There's a little bit, but then, but I, I had it a lot with Roman. He did. There was there was quite a few things that he uh, he managed to drop the ball on. Right. Well, I understand how you have taken this incident apart, but for me, 
what sticks in my head most is that essentially Ocon was a lapped runner. And while they were even into turn one, and I think he has every right to push it, when you fast forward to where they actually collided, it was uh, Verstappen's rear wheel and Ocon's front wheel, which to me says the battle was basically over. So my question is, can I just say, can we just say that question is being asked based on a factually incorrect thing? So I will note that objection for the future. uh, Go back and look at where the contact. Yes, I have done. They were very much alongside. They weren't, it wasn't Uh, a nose in. It was Verstappen's rear wheel and it was, it was Ocon's front wheel. All right. Well, okay. Well, if you want to continue under that wrong premise, do continue. My question to you is, do you think that in the instance where, where you're talking about essentially a lapped car, does the responsibility devolve on the person being lapped to, to just think better of continuing that battle to a point where there might be a collision or do you, or do you, or would you prefer for that fight to go on as if they were fighting for an actual track position? It's, it's a reasonable thing to say, but yes, they, it, they have to fight as if it was a fight for a track position because the rules state that he's allowed to um, take himself. If, if he's going faster than the leader, he's allowed to unlap himself. So if he's allowed to unlap himself, therefore, the normal rules of engagement need to apply. And the normal rules of engagement would say that Verstappen had to give him a car's width, and he didn't. And to go back to both of you, and I don't want to be the, the referee in the middle, but if you look at the damage on Verstappen's car, it was the floor between the two wheels. So it certainly wasn't front wheel to rear wheel. Yeah. Spanners wins. Uh, look, I want to get back I don't. To- <laughs> I don't know exactly where the collision happened and how, but all I know is that Verstappen should have given Ocon enough room and he didn't. If you look at the, he didn't give him a car's width. If he was fighting for the lead, if he was fighting for a normal race position, then he should give him a car's width and he didn't give him a car's width. He closed the door. Maybe he felt Ocon should have backed out. You know, we go back to the sense of entitlement, whether that comes from being a race leader or it comes from being Max Verstappen, I don't know. But I think there was a sense of entitlement that he felt he'd done enough and therefore Ocon should back out. Ocon is trying to prove himself. You can't, we can't forget that. Ocon is, is driving for his career at the moment. You know, he's trying to prove to everyone around him that he's a good racer. He knows that he can. I'm going to upset people again, but he knows in his head from back in Formula 3 or Formula 4 that he can out-race or out-wheel-to-wheel drive Max Verstappen, or that's what he thinks at least, because he did it. Um, so therefore, I think he probably... His brain probably uh, probably melted a little bit as well, and he thought, "Well, hang on a minute. You know, if I was in a Mercedes, this would be a <laughs> this would be a genuine uh, a genuine battle, and this is what I can do." Definitely, uh, definitely. Maybe uh, maybe one we're going to definitely see in the future. I do want to go back a little bit though into the past and just what do you what do you say? Because obviously in the race, the engineer just said to Verstappen, "All right, mate, come on, chin up, let, let's carry on." But there is. There is a cool down for him as he's driving around. But surely as a team boss as well, you've got to think about your cool down because you've got to be just fuming. And then there's that, yeah, that yeah. time before that. And was he out of the race at that point? No, 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 no. So as I say, he, he literally, it happened at the entrance to the, to the pit. So he came over the radio effing and blinding and saying that Stevens had pulled across him. He then drove straight down the pit lane. So it happened at the entrance to the pit. He drove down the pit lane. We serviced the car. We put four new tires on it quickly um, and got him back out into the race. Then the stewards are judged that it was his fault and he got a five-second stop go after that. So he, his initial reaction was, um, it was Stevens's fault. He pulled across on me. What the hell is he doing, et cetera, et cetera. As I intimated before, there was previous with Roman with that. I mean, he, he crashed once under the 
yes. the safety car, trying mm. to warm his tires up, and blamed the engineer for talking to him too much. And you know, it's the the, the old driver's book of excuses. Um, so initially, he came in and said, "What the hell was going on?" He then got told about his penalty. By the time he actually finished the race and he came over and he came back into to hospitality where I was, he'd completely calmed down and he knew it was his fault and he apologised. Yeah. At that stage, I don't know what else you can say. I mean, he apologised. We went off into the engineer's office and we had a conversation, me, he and Pastor. Um, and at the time, it was just, you know, I just told him how disappointed I was. Oh, Again, no, laid that's on, worse. Laid it, <laughs> laid it on the line that, you know, this was an important race for us in terms of the number of points that we could have got over Force India, that we'd effectively thrown away a, a fifth or a sixth position. Um, so, yeah, so he, he knew that he'd done wrong, but heat of the battle, red mist, all those things, it's difficult to... And, and as I said, yeah. you need a little bit of that in a race driver. He seems like such a nice measured bloke out of the car did you notice there was like a Jekyll and Hyde or was he you know like Eric Banner and the Hulk in and out um <laughs> he was no he was like it in and out the car to be fair he was uh he was he could be a little bit like that I remember one um I can't remember where it was I think it was in Dubai that I was having dinner with Julian Palmer in the hotel on a Saturday evening let's say and Roman was sitting on a table five places away from us and I went over to him and said, why don't you come and join us? And he said, no, I don't want to come and sit over there while you're sitting with uh, with Jolian, the guy who drives my car on a Friday. No, whoa, really? Yeah. So he flatly refused. Jolian, Jolian left and went to bed at uh, maybe 9, 9.30 or whatever. And then Roman <laughs> came over and sat with me. But he wouldn't literally wouldn't sit and have dinner at the same table. as. <laughs> I mean, you have to remember that the only people that they have to be is, uh, is their teammate. or their, you know, And we were... I think I've discussed this before because of Pastor's contract with um, the Venezuelans, PDVSA, we weren't allowed to take the car off of Pastor on a Friday morning. Jolian had paid for 10 uh, Friday mornings practice. So the only car we could give was Roman's. Roman was ahead in the championship. Roman was effectively our first, our first driver. And yet I had to give his car to, uh, to Jolian on a Friday. And that affected, according to Roman, that would affect his whole race weekend because he didn't get, you know, he didn't go through his normal, his normal routine on a Friday. So, uh, so yeah, his, his, uh, hatred is a very harsh word, but his, uh, his lack of understanding of the, the bigger picture, if you like, he was all about himself and wanting to prove himself. And, and I guess trying to look up the ladder. I mean, he's always said when yeah. he went to Haas that he's thinking of Ferrari and he's thinking of his own career, which is, which is only short in, in sports. So they've got to look out for themselves a little bit. That is a fascinating insight into the driver mentality. Cause we always wonder whether, the guys are giving up their seat willingly or whether there's some kind of system like we've noticed Alonso has been giving up his seat because he's on the way out that's uh, because he's out yeah, yeah yeah so yeah no I mean that's fascinating um it's not like oh I'm supporting the the up-and-coming young drivers it's fully that is my car don't break it I hate you that Julian used to say as he was pulling out on a Friday so Roman used to sit on the pit wall next to me on a Friday morning because he'd sit and look at the data and analyze the data Jolian said to me many times, the first thing he saw when he looked up out of his visor was Roman sitting on the pit wall, <laughs> giving him daggers down there, you know, like literally staring daggers at him. So, and Jolian's there to prove himself. So Jolian wants to push the car. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult well, That's bad because Jolian seems like one of the nicest drivers in the paddock as well. Yeah, nice guys finish last though. I mean, everybody that walks <laughs> into that car is your potential competitor. Why would you want to give them do them any favors whatsoever? And yeah, I mean, there are probably your guys like Lewis or Fernando who are 
you know, they pretty much believe their own hype and they're not so worried about stuff like that. But if you're a guy like Rojan who already got kicked down the ladder once and had to fight his way back, you're always going to be feeling kind of insecure whenever anyone else gets to take your ride out and put in some lap times, even if it is Julian Palmer. I don't know about the even if bit, but yeah, anyway, it was, uh, yes. But yeah, that, that mentality is, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to deal with, but drivers are special, shall we say. You, you've seen these battles firsthand. It's really easy for us uh, sitting on the sofa to say, oh, Palmer's rubbish because he didn't do well against Hulkenberg or, or Grosjean has underperformed in certain ways. But for you, I suppose you've, you've gotten a much more of a picture because you remember how Magnussen got really kind of, taken down at uh, McLaren by uh, because he didn't do well against Button but then he's yep. um have I got that right it was against Button wasn't it Magnuson yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yep. and yep. then now he's up against Grosjean who people do generally consider to be quick uh, and they they seem fairly even but you've got quite a unique perspective on that yeah I mean I I, I have a perspective from from Lotus and from a, a I guess a slightly smaller team but um there's 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 many other things that come into play. So certainly for us at Lotus, and I'm sure we've discussed this before, both cars aren't the same when it comes to practice or qualifying or the race day. Um, I don't think it's the same in the, the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, but certainly at Lotus, you know, we would maybe only have one front wing. So we developed a new front wing that was supposed to show uh, a few tenths of a gain and we'd only have one of them. Mm. So then you have to decide whose car it goes on um, <laughs> or one floor or one, you know, whatever it may be. You've only got one. So you need to decide where that's where where you're going to put that and who's going to get it. And that's going to upset one or other of the drivers for, for sure. Because um, as far as Pasta, as far as Maldonado was concerned and, and his his entourage, he was giving such a huge amount of money to the team that it was down to him the fact that we were racing. So therefore, he should get the, yeah. um, the best of the best. Um, so I used to have Daddy Maldonado in my face who couldn't speak any English. Um effing and blinding in Spanish at me and um, telling me that his son should have this, that and the other. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult. So this brings up an interesting point, which um, I think and I, I, I hate to give him credit, but which Spanners has made in the past, which is there's been sort of this interesting shift towards drivers as customers of team rather than drivers as drivers for teams. And is that kind of what you're getting out there? You mean because they bring so much money to the team? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to a certain extent, I think that I, I, I think that's probably always been the case. Um, I know. Again, don't underestimate the amount that Fernando Alonso took to um, to McLaren with his Santander deal, or that he took to Ferrari. Santander followed him to Ferrari because they, because they were giving him a huge. They, they were giving McLaren and Ferrari a huge amount of money, so um, they do have a say. You know, you, it's. It's a business as well as a sport, which I know people don't want to hear, but that that is the that's the fact of it. And uh, and certainly at Lotus, if Maldonado had pulled their thirty million dollars of sponsorship money, then you know it would have been a much more difficult um, thing for us to to deal with. And the same Williams are going through it now. I'm sure we'll get onto it later on. But oh, Williams yes. are going through that same. Um, they're going through that same. You know, money versus talent versus. Uh, you know, I'm sure that. Claire, in fact, I know that Claire has been in a very difficult position with Lance for the last two years because the amount of money that's coming in from him and what they want to say to him and they want him to do, and yet their hands are tied a little bit because they don't want to upset him to the extent that he walks away with his checkbook. Did you ever hear my my Williams parody of money, all about the money? All about the money, yes, I did, yeah. Hang on. (laughs) 
It's a little clip. Apex podcast. <laughs> Just thinking about pay drivers. Just feels like these days. I don't know. Seems like every seat's got a price. I wonder how they sleep at night. When the cash comes first and the points come second, just stop for a minute and drive. Why is Patty so serious? Acting so damn mysterious. Chatroom's getting upset. I've got the fader. So low that you can't even tell us You're not going to give me one chorus. Hold the rest up to your left. Pass cover line to your right. But did you see that? Yeah, we signed a paid driver tonight. It's all about the money, money, money. We just want your money, money, money. We don't worry about the lab times. Okay, some of the chat room looks genuinely angry there. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, they're, they're in that, that hard situation with uh, Stroll. But how much power does the third driver have when they come in? So, Jolly and Palmer, I'm, I'm assuming that there was some cash even as a reserve driver. Um, so, how do you treat him? Because you desperately don't want this young if not t- talented driver to break your car but does he go in there with like you know w- orders like do not push because we're always looking at these young guys and seeing what times they do but are they driving to different instructions uh the short answer is yes they are uh well not different instructions they're driving two instructions so fridays are important to the teams in terms of learning about the tires learning about long runs learning about aero etc cetera, etc cetera. so they have to they have to follow the program um, which sometimes doesn't involve being on the fastest tyre on the lowest fuel load at, at, at any one time. Um, in terms of how much power third drivers have, um, I can go back to the season before where I signed Charles Peake as our third driver. Ah. And he was the guy that actually had the bailiffs in the uh, garage at Spa after we got our podium, um, seizing all, attempting to seize all our goods because he was owed money. And that was because he had also, so prior to prior to 2014 season, I signed Charles to do the same as Jolan, actually, similar deal. So again, he paid cash um, and he paid to have 10 Friday mornings. Um, Pasta had in his contract that we couldn't take the car away from him. So therefore we had Roman. And 2014, as I'm sure everyone remembers, was such a terrible season in terms of the new hybrid engine it was breaking all the time. We'd had zero testing. We'd had zero running. And basically, all my engineers said, you cannot take Roman out of the car on a Friday because um, it's just going to kill our race weekend. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kill him. It's going to kill everything that we're trying to learn about the car. We're learning from Roman's side of the garage, not from Pastor's side of the garage. Ooh, interesting. So as the season... Yeah, yeah there's the headline. There's the excerpt. <laughs> You well, we've talked about this before because with Pasta, you couldn't tell whether or not if you put a new a new piece of aero on. Roman was very, very consistent with his lap times, like all the best drivers are. They're very, very consistent. Pasta was, let's say, not so consistent. He had a quick lap in him. He had a, he had a few quick laps in him, but you couldn't guarantee that he was consistent all the time. So if you go out on a run with one wing and then you bring him in and then you take him out on another wing and you're aiming for him to hit the same lap times, he couldn't do it. And you didn't know whether it's because he'd gone wide in a corner because he decided to push a little bit more or you had no idea whether the wing was working. So all development had to be done on Roman's side of the garage. Um, and therefore, as the season progressed, we didn't give Charles enough Friday mornings to fulfill his contract. So he sued us. Oh, right. That's, um, and getting, that was yeah. that was that was the reason that there were. Um, and then there's a there's a bizarre rule about uh, in Belgium. 
and to do with Belgium law. And that's why it always happens in Belgium that these things come to a head. Um, so, uh, so in Belgium, they could seize. So you go to the court in Belgium and you tell them that you're owed money. And as long as you prove that you're owed money, they'll allow you to seize assets. So it quite often happens at Spa. So he'd done that and he went and he, and he stopped us from leaving Spa until we paid him, basically. Wow. That, I think you've, you have told us parts of that story before, but uh, maybe I'm just slow. But that's the first time I'm sort of piecing it all together. Um, uh, in the chat room here, Osman Selem. And hello, chat room, by the way. You can get uh, in touch with us and join in the live chat by going to YouTube and searching Missed Apex Podcast. Um, the, Sarah's saying it's very interesting about Spa, that that's the reason that happens uh, there so often. And it was Usman, sorry, Selem, who said, Roman, one of the best drivers that's the that's the comment he's got stuck on there. Do you put him in that top that top echelon? I think there's a lot of people who hope he's how, how top. How big is how big is the top echelon? How uh, how many yeah, drivers do you want to go down? Uh, I don't know. I say he... I would I would say and I've and uh, this is just based on not necessarily being his his boss. This is just based on what I see. I would put him in probably in the top half of the grid at the moment. If they were if they were all in the same car, I would I would put him in the top half of the grid for sure. Um him, he and Kimmy were fairly neck and neck in 2013. I know Kimmy scored more, much more points, which I know is going to get pointed out. But in terms of pace, they were fairly they were fairly similar in 2013. Roman obviously had his big shunt in the, at the start and Spa, and then got a and then got a ban. Um, but he was also very much the junior driver then. Uh, this was before my time, but I know that he used to come onto the radio and ask if he could be allowed to go past. Um, Kimmy, you know, they, they had that, uh, you know, Roman is faster than you type, type <laughs> comment. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, I think he is. I think Roman is, he's, he's super consistent. Um, he's quick. You know, there's no, there's no denying that. I think he's put himself up against Magnussen as being at least as good, uh, if not on his day, probably a little bit better, I would say. Um, he, he was, he was fairly, he was fairly level with Kimmy. The point's going to say different, but again, Kimmy yeah. had all the better, the better upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think he's, He's up there. Let's let's put it that way. He's probably in the. He's definitely in the top ten. I'd probably put him in the top six on the grid at the moment. Okay, let's do a, let's do a game. Let's make it a game. Quick fire. Would Roman Grosjean beat Daniel Ricciardo? No. Vettel. No. So see, I, I think that puts us right in. That's nearly putting us in the bottom half. Controversial. Yeah. Going to get hate from the German fans here. But top half. You put him still still solidly top half. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, he's. he's I mean. Uh, it's difficult to say because you've never seen him in the car against those people. But wild um, speculation! Come on, this are you new? Wild speculation! <laughs> I would, in that case, the reason I paused much longer. In that case, if you want some wild speculation, I would say potentially better than Vettel in in similar machinery. I don't think Ricciardo because I've got a, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of respect for Ricciardo and the way that he drives and the way that he handles a car and. <laughs> I'm super interested to see how he gets on in Renault. See, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna let Matt ask a question because I I can write all the blurb and the show summaries now. Thanks. Uh, Grosjean would beat Vettel, according to Matthew Carter. Easily. Yes. <laughs> There's, your click, There's your clickbait. <laughs> I love that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> okay, I've waffled enough with my uh, kind of driver-driver, politicky, behind-the-scenes type stuff. Matt would like to ask you some questions, I think, about the recent goings-on at Liberty. I don't understand any of it. It was a wall of text that you put in the notes, Matt, so I've just replied TLDR, and I'm going to click the screen where I am no longer present. All right, then. <laughs> it, it, this shouldn't take more than, you know, two and a half or three hours to wade through. I don't know what the problem is. It's okay. I'll, uh, I'll write some new rap cover lyrics just for Baha Matia Matt in the chat room. <laughs> no, there was an investor call. Um, Greg Maffei and um, Chase Carey were on it. They were asked some questions. And since you're not only a businessman, but also a Formula One boss, I thought it would be interesting to get your perspective on some of the topics that came up and some of the things that they said. Um, And they started off just talking a lot about how much money they made, how much debt they have. And let's just assume that they've used clever enough accounting that it looks like things are going well for them at the moment, because that's pretty much what all the clever people do. Um, but in terms of the, and, and well, I mean, this is like, if, if, like, here's what I know about business. If I really wanted to be a businessman, I'd get a business, I'd borrow enough money to buy everything. And then when I couldn't make the debt payments anymore, all the money I'd paid myself, I'd get to keep. And then I'd write it. Everything else would be written off as bankrupt. And then I would be rich pretty much. Okay. okay. Yeah. But this is also why I asked people who are actually in business, their opinion on things, because I realize that's probably not how it works in the real world. Um, with regard to TV attendance, they said they made a big deal about live attendance being up 3% uh, year over year at the 16 tracks where they had comparable data. And they said that uh, television viewing on race day is down 5%, um, and that's primarily due uh, to going to pay TV. None of that is a real surprise to me, but what do you think about the um, 3% increase at the 16 tracks day? We're keeping they had comparable data on is that is that meaning that some of the stuff that they're doing at the track is beginning to work or or would you look at that as an investor and go, well, that's just sort of, uh, you know, a standard deviation. And I'm not really impressed by that. Uh, the short answer is that I'm not really impressed by that. I think three percent is such a small number. Um, you have to remember that. And I'll try not to be too cynical, but this this was an investor call or an investor meeting or an investor investor conversation. So, uh, by nature of that, they Liberty borrowed the money to buy Formula One from investors. They now have to prove to those investors that it was a sound it was a sound investment that they made, um, and it probably was. I'm sh- I'm sure it will be. Um, but they have to now uh, big themselves up and big up the job that they're doing um, from the limited uh, bits and pieces that I saw from the from the call. They managed to uh, put 
Bernie down quite considerably at, at every opportunity they could and how they'd bought a poison chalice almost and that they'd uh, there was lots of skeletons in the clo- in the cupboard that they that they weren't aware of um a three percent rise in live people going to the venues can be down to a lot of different things uh, it can be down to economics in the countries where they go to it can be down to uh people having more money in the countries that they go to. It can be down to the fact that it was a more interesting season this season with two different teams racing Ferrari and Mercedes instead of it just being Mercedes, Mercedes. So you can put, you can, and 3%, as I said, right from the outset, is a, is a very small number. Um, in terms of people watching the TV, uh, again, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the paywall does affect things. Um, my general overview of the whole thing is that it's a lot of waffle um, from people that are trying to justify a $6 billion purchase to their investors. Um, I think they are slowly getting things right at Liberty, but, uh, but I think slowly is slowly is the word. Uh, they talked a lot about uh, promoters putting on a better show, I believe, as well, and that they wanted the promoters to, uh, to get involved in putting on a better show. Um, which is good, which is great. And that's going to increase the live, increase the live audiences for sure. Um, but I just, I, <laughs> My honest opinion is I think they're trying to fix something. This is going to be controversial. They're trying to fix something that wasn't necessarily broken. Um, I think I think Bernie's business model had a lot of people that put it down, but he earned an awful lot of money for CVC. And if Liberty could earn the money that he earned for CVC for their investors, then their investors would be very, very happy. But they're trying to do it, and they're also trying to keep the fans happy, trying to keep uh, the teams happy, trying to keep everything happy. Okay. Well, um, I was going to follow up and ask, uh, because they mentioned U.S. and China figures uh, for viewing being up 50 and 265%. But I have a bigger question now that I want to ask you, which is, it seems to me that really, when that Liberty have this property for a different reason than Bernie had this property, and that yes. that... And that's what we're really talking about at this point. Liberty see this through a different lens than Bernie sees it. A hundred percent. Well, Liberty, the, the clue is in, the, is in the name of the company. It's Liberty Media. Um, so they're there for the, for the media. They're there for the eyeballs. They're there for, my understanding is they're going to gradually. Uh, Matthew, is that a dog snoring this. at your feet? Yes. <laughs> well done, chat room. You called it right. Sorry, I'll leave you alone. Seriously? Yeah, they can hear that. It's cool. It's a feature, not a bug. That is... Oh, don't wake him up. Oh, look at that. Also, the people want their Christmas lights on. Oh, look oh, at you. Who's a good go. podcasting boy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. I'll leave um, you alone. I'll let the grown-ups talk. I can't remember where, where I got to now. Um, I think that, yeah, so they're, they're Liberty Media. They're, they're there to... I don't, I, I don't think this is... Uh, confidential but i think that the, what their, their their game plan is to gradually work away from uh standard tv and to bring everyone over onto the internet um okay the fact that you're nodding says that it's not confidential Good. I, I wasn't sure whether i'd heard that from somewhere that i shouldn't be talking about but yeah i think that their general game plan is to put everything onto their own to get everyone to subscribe to their own f1 app and to and to get the viewers through that um and therefore by doing that simple numbers show that the amount of people that watch an f1 race on a weekend if they all subscribe to their application, if they all watch it through the application, then they're going to make a huge amount of money. Um, that's my understanding. The peripheral stuff around that is the show and the engines and the noise and the cost cutting. And my honest opinion is that they're just 
blah, 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 because they don't really understand. They're doing all sorts of focus groups that are saying, we want faster cars, but we want more noise, but we want, but it has to be hybrid. And they're trying to answer all questions to all people. And they're not really answering any questions from any people, if that makes sense. No, it, it does make sense. And, and, and in essence, uh, it's an interesting reflection of the sport itself because there will always be compromises involved when, when push comes to shove. When you have to set the car up, you have to make choices about what you're prioritizing in terms of where you get your lap time from and yep. what kind of efficiencies you have with your engine, where the power bands lay in, in the gear ratios you choose. And really where they are is they're trying to find a compromise it doesn't inherently break what they've bought. Yeah. And that's hard because that gives the teams more leverage and input than I think they would really like to allow them. But also, they're uh, in a hard place. The only person they have working for them who really understands things in any way, shape, or form is Ross Braun. Yeah. So they're, they're very dependent on that. Uh, but they brought up, I mean, they brought up the new sponsors and stuff like that. But I think probably something you would like to talk about very much is they brought up the business bottle with regards to Force India, and it's going into and out of administration. And um, and they said they need a healthier business model. They The business model isn't what it can or should be, but that there are 10 different perspectives as to what the details on that should be. And we had sort of an interesting pre-conversation about this. So um, what should happen to make the sport battle and to make the business model work from your point of view as an F1 boss and then from your point of view as a business person? Answer all 17 of those questions in order, no pausing. It was the, bus- <laughs> the, bu- <laughs> the business model for the teams, I think, generally does work as long as the teams are um, clever about what they, what they want to do. And again, I know this is not necessarily what the fans want to hear, but... I think the likes of a Force India and even a Renault need to realise that they are fighting for fourth, fifth, sixth place in the championship. And as long as they realise that and that they gauge themselves for that, then that's fine. The problem arises when teams are fighting for fourth, fifth and sixth, but they actually think that they can compete with Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes. And I think that's what happened to Force India. I think, well, obviously, Force India is slightly different because there's a whole VJ Malia legal issue money thing in India. Um, But I think that what happens is that if they realize that that's where they're fighting, then that's fine. But the minute that they, they try and overstep the mark, the minute they think, well, hang on a minute, we'll just throw another 10 million at this. We'll throw another 15 million at this. Or if we just hire this driver or this engineer or whatever, it's going to, it's going to push us forward. Then it starts to affect what would be a normal business model, which is as any business has to look at it, that you've got your your revenue and you've got your expenditure and somewhere you need to make sure that your revenue is is larger than your expenditure. Um, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull can offset that by way of saying they've got sponsorship or that they're selling road cars or that they're, they're doing whatever. I read an interesting thing. So did you see that Renault have appointed a new, I can't remember the guy's name, they've appointed a new guy to take over from Jerome Stroll. Um, so Jerome Stroll was Cyril... Cyril's boss. Um, they'd taken on a new guy, and they would. Uh, there was a there was a press conference where they were talking about where they were and what they were doing, and and they were explaining how they would like to get to the next level, and they were saying that they're currently. I think they said they were at 160 million dollars spend per year, and the top teams are at least twice that, and I don't think they're going to get that signed off. I think when they sold the project to Carlos Ghosn, who is the who is the big boss at Renault. 
I think that they said that that was the figure they were going to be at and that they were going to be challenging for for world championships. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen because Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull are spending that bit extra on on everything. Uh, drivers, engine development, aero, etc., etc. And European's got a decent question in the chat room there, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But knowing are you little... suggesting are you suggesting that Matt's question wasn't a decent question? I actually asked the uh, the chat room: Are the questions okay, or are they a bit trumpetsy? And uh, it's quite split. <laughs> it's quite split. The nerdier chat room people seem to like it. But there's a good question here that says: If you had a million pounds to invest freely, would you invest in Liberty's model of F1? A million pounds. Yeah, I'd I don't know. Should buy we... the smallest, tiniest little. Yeah. He, oh, he's uh... pulled a bit of a uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Doctor Evil there, hasn't he? All right, then. If you had seventeen billion pounds, I've gone the other way. Uh, if you had a, a reasonable amount of money, would I invest in Liberty's model? Is that that's the question? Uh, I yes, as a as a pure way to earn money. I think that if they're doing exactly as I just suggested, if they're going down the route of we want we want to get people buying our app or subscribing to our app on a monthly basis, and that's how we're going to earn money, then yes, it's going to make sense. It's going to work. Right. Um, so first of all, it occurs to me, Spanners, we've been missing an entire whose fault is this anyway game that we could have been playing with the teams. I love games. Let's do it. <laughs> whose fault is for India anyway? <laughs> I didn't, it didn't occur to me to blame them for, uh, for, for, uh, uh, for their ambition uh, <laughs> exceeding their circumstances. But now that it's pointed out, I think this is a game we could potentially play. Well, there is. There are a few more legal ramifications around that than just whose fault it was to have a little crash on track. If I've got Peter Wright Digital Law sat here the whole time, then maybe. But uh, do please carry on. Um, After you've finished all your smart people questions, we've got some Q&A that we collected from Twitter as well. Right. Well, you'll be happy to know that that this is the last one. I'm going to ask, and it's not even really an ask so much as when you mentioned like poison chalice earlier on, would this be a reference to things like the uh, suddenly free Brazil uh, Grand Prix that have, have cropped up and of course. little presence yep. Bernie has sort of left laying around for the uh, new owners. Oh, I know. I, I, I do genuinely sound like a bit of a Bernie um, supporter or, or standing up for him, but you could call them surprises, and I think Liberty called it surprises in that investment call, but they spent six months doing due diligence. So as part of their due diligence, they would have been able to see the contracts from all the race circuits. Um, I think they also blamed the situation at Silverstone as being a, what they considered to be a skeleton in the, in the closet. Um, but no, they, they should have, I don't feel sorry for them at all because they should have done, or they did do their due diligence. I mean, it was a six billion dollar purchase you don't walk into that with your eyes closed and just say oh my god look at that we didn't realize that had happened um so they i'm sure that they knew about it and i'm sure they took a a measured risk on that um but now on an investment call it's an easy thing to say we didn't realize and therefore that's the reason that things aren't quite as going the way that they should be um well, hang on a minute. That's not fair. I think things are going the way they should be generally. Um, I think a 3% increase in people at live races is is negligible and a drop in the TV is negligible. Um, and they've now been at it for two years. Um, they need to start making some changes. You know, they need they need to. The next thing they need to do is to start making some changes. Actually, the well, I- go on, Matt, go on. I was, it's, all I was going to say was the Twitter questions lead on very nicely to this. So don't drag the good gentleman too far off topic. 
No, I was actually going to go back and mention that uh, interactions during race week are up 31%. Video views are up 66%. And they have 18.1 million followers on their social platforms, versus, which is up 50% over last year, were the statistics that they mentioned. Given that, do you see evidence that, that they are sort of making progress where they want to be making progress? Or are the numbers just too mishy? mashy to really be trusted on, on a call like this mishy mashy um no I, I i think the numbers are are genuine and they're fine and that's but that, but it, that's fairly easy to explain because bernie completely didn't believe in social media he didn't want to believe in social media he actively closed down anything that was on youtube that showed a, a race car going around a racetrack you look these days they invest um they they actually invest into what do you call them? YouTube influencers. They invite them to the races. They invite people to the races that have got more followers just because they're going to go there and they're going to pop a video on YouTube. So the fact that Liberty Media are going down the media route is 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 kind of understandable. And if they didn't do, then they really would be missing an open goal um, because Bernie had the chance to do it and he deliberately didn't do it. You know, he actively sat there and said, I'm not interested in social media. I don't understand it. So I'm going to continue to earn money the way that I've always earned money. Um, there's an argument to say that his business model was outdated and couldn't have survived. The counter argument to that is that it survived the whole time that he was there. and It survived right up until media, Liberty Media bought the sport. Good. Some questions from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> before we go back to Liberty, Hannah asks, what's the possibility of getting Mr. Carter to a missed Apex event? We need to see you on track. When's the next one in Canada? <laughs> you you are a man of means me and can Lance, travel me and Lance Stroll <laughs> who could you, versus you guys who could you bring along obviously you couldn't bring along Grosjean now not after not after this episode uh, or Maldonado but you, you could bring along some celebrity chums couldn't you come on Jolian Jolian would come for sure <laughs> um, he's he, a good carter I carted with Jolian in Barcelona actually you'd hope he was good in a go-kart wouldn't he you? was he was ridiculously good yeah <laughs> annoyingly the, yeah. at the last one who did we have? We had Alex Brundle and we had Bradley Philpot. And then we had a huge, huge gap back to the, the best of the rest, the mugs. Where- so I think Alex, Brund- Alex Brundle and Jolian are quite friendly from what I, because I think Martin Brundle spends a lot of time at the Bedford, um, at the, yeah, the uh, Jonathan Palmer aerodrome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does that, what does that mean that they are of equal pace? Don't know. I have no idea. But well, I'm sure they. I'm sure between them, they know who's quicker. What What do we have to when's do the, to to, to, to When's look? the next event? Oh, interesting. You should mention that we are looking at a four race series over the F1 season next year, and I believe the first one is going to be towards the end of February. So it's going to be around testing time, and then there's going to be a spring one, a summer one, and then one nearer the end of the season. So I'm sure we can okay. persuade you at some point. Uh, now let's see uh, a more a more F one e type question. Let's do that. Street circuits and the calendar. MG five nine oh nine ask: Do you have any thoughts on the calendar e- expansion? What's too many races, uh, and what would you change on the calendar? Because Liberty recently released a statement saying that they might drop some of the older tracks in favour of some more glamorous tracks. So this is kind of style over substance. Personally, for me, I don't like a street a street circuit i can completely take it or leave it i i would have monaco completely off of the point scoring calendar i don't like singapore i don't like some of the uh you know i don't want more singapores are you are you you're not with me are you ah no i i i kind of am actually but i this 
almost goes back to the Liberty Media model because the races that you just mentioned, the Monaco's and the Singapore's, are the races that get more uh, celebrity attendance. They're the races that are going to get more people looking at beautiful views of race cars going around harbours and uh, at night under the lights. They're, they're the things that are going to sell the media side of the business. They're the things that Liberty Media are going to be able to get lots of views on YouTube and, and on social media. So um, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, the old school tracks are the ones that the purists love, uh, the drivers love, but they don't necessarily fill the stands. So I remember 2014, 2015, Germany um, was terrible. There was there was nobody. There was there was zero attendance there at Hockenheim. Um, even in even in Monza, the the attendance isn't as good. Um, but then you've got tracks, and I know we've talked about this before, like Bahrain, where the attendance is terrible. But that the government are backing the event by so much money that it that it makes financial sense for Formula One to be there. Um, so it's kind of I think it's a it's a it's a balance between traditional making sure that the racing is still good, making sure that people still follow the sport, and also making sure that Liberty Media get the money that they need to get in. Now they're never going to address it in as blunt a terms as I just have, but that's that's the that's the offset. In terms of the number of races, twenty one is a lot and living it for two and a half seasons it's um how many races did you have when you were uh i think we had 21 and 20 so maybe 21 both years i can't remember but that is literally i would say that is literally breaking point that is reckon yeah yeah i mean the, the, the mechanics don't they they've got no life i mean they so for me it was almost a little bit easier because i could leave on a friday on a Thursday evening, no matter where the race was, I could be there on a Friday to meet with sponsors, to meet with the team. I was there Saturday. I generally leave on Sunday. Some of the guys that are setting the garage up need to be in the paddock or the pits on the Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, to make sure the garage is ready for Thursday, which is media day. And they don't leave until, well, you see them starting to break the thing down before the race is even finished. If you have a look at the notebooks that Will Buxton and, and Ted Kravitz do, the, the thing is already being dismantled before the end of, the, before the end of Sunday because they need to get on to the next race. Um, so those guys are a week in every two weeks away from their family and so friends. It or, is, anyway, and, it's, and, yeah. and that's almost impossible to, 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 to sustain. And if you add more into that, then you just end up, you almost end up with the fact that you would need two teams. You would need two teams of mechanics to go to the races. And that was the conversation that we used to have at Lotus. And therefore, you're doubling the cost. So how does that help in terms of reducing costs for teams? Suddenly you've got two head mechanics, you've got two pit crews, you've got two, you know, it, it just doesn't work. Is, it, is there a case to say, okay, so that means that they are losing a little bit of quality of life, but that's that's just kind of what it takes to be in that trade? I mean, I'm going to do a bit of missed apex bingo here, but as an engineer, the only way to make proper money, really, like proper, proper money, is to be away a lot and to do those overseas jobs. With F1, there's a certain glory and a certain um, life experience of doing that, and maybe you don't do it for as long. But isn't it, isn't it kind of okay to say F, being an F1 roadie engineer is just, it's hard work and you're away a lot? You froze completely. I lost you. You froze? I lost you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Um, okay, so, so, so throw it back at you. I think I got the end of the, the, end of the, or the start of the question. Um, so how long would you do that for? So if you had to be away from your family, and I know you're a family man, um, if you had to be away from your wife and your kids mm-hmm. for 
three weeks in every four. Because it gets it's, when you have a back-to-back race, you're pretty much at that point. So you're at home for one week. How long do you think you could sustain that for? How many years? Even yeah. if you're earning a huge salary, but you're away, you're the other side of the world, you're constantly, your wife's looking at pictures of parties and of, um, yeah. of, of things that are going on, of the lifestyle, of the, of the glamour, and you're the other side of the world. So, How many years yeah. would you sustain that? Oh, I can definitely not seeing uh, your kids grow up. I can definitely answer that question because as a as an ex member of the armed forces, I was <laughs> I was obviously away a lot, and as I got to the late twenties, I sort of realised that that is not conducive for a family life, and I stopped doing that. Uh, and I do Perfect. see, yeah. So the so the follow up so the follow up to it is that the best mechanics, the best engineers, are the ones that have been in the sport for the longest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you've got this huge trade off. So 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 where do you go? The best strategist that we had was Ayo, who had been in the sport for 10, 15 years. He can't sustain doing that any longer. I mean, he can't, you know, if you start adding more races in, you start impacting, so there you lose. So therefore you've got a constant, it's constantly new engineers coming in or it's new people that want to experience the F1 lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and that's going to that's gonna diminish the quality of the people that are doing the job. Chatroom rightly points out, you are assuming that everybody likes their family. Trumpets. <laughs> I just personally see having to bring new people in and hire lots of extra people with less experience is increasing the unpredictability of the race, therefore <laughs> making it more exciting viewing. But I, I, I agree that's probably grasping a little bit. I don't know. It, it's no, tough- I agree. But, but then you're going to get the top teams giving more money to those guys and they're going to be burning them out. But they're going to be saying, OK, you're the best engineer. So therefore, we're going to throw double the salary at you. And you're going to have two divorces and you're going to have like more kids that you don't see. Or, you you know, it's going to it's going to impact on the spot. I, I genuinely think. And also, I don't think. And again, you could completely disagree with this, but I don't think that you necessarily need more races. So do you really do? You, would you prefer to have a race every single weekend? Yeah. OK, go on then. No, 52 <laughs> races in the year. OK, so, that, no, no, that, that, yeah. so that there's a point where you think and they generally don't race over the winter, as we know. So you've got two months there, but they're pretty much I mean, they're. It's up there as one of the, it's the only global sport, truly global sport fact, you know, it's that, that physically goes around the world. You know, other sports don't do that. So you're putting a lot of strain on the people that are doing it, even the drivers. I think Lewis said the other day that he wouldn't do it if it went to 25, didn't he? He said if 25 races would be his limit, he would, he would drop out of that. Okay, so let's speculate. Why does the number 25 keep on popping up with Liberty? What do you think might be behind their push for more races? Is it just more more fees to make their maths work out? Or Yeah, of course. It, yeah. Yeah, for them it's yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it's I mean it So again, I I'm, I'm, I'm I'm sure everyone understands this and I apologize for for dumbing it down, but Bernie Liberty, they sell to the promoter. So the promoter here in Montreal pays a fee to have the race. As far as Liberty are concerned, they don't really care how many people attend the race because the promoter's already paid them. The promoter's the one that gets the, the entrance fee. So as far as Bernie was concerned, when he was going to places like Bahrain, if Bahrain paid him for the race and nobody turned up, he didn't care. All they did was they turned it to a night race so you couldn't see the stands and you couldn't see that they were empty. But, that, <laughs> but he didn't care because he'd got his fee already. So really, it's the promoter that wants to try and get more people through the door. So as far as Liberty are concerned, they're, okay, fine, we've, we've got our fee. So if they get another four fees, then they get, you know, it's, it's another, whatever it is, 15, 20% on top of what they're already getting in terms of, in terms of income. Um, they split that amongst the teams, some of it. So the teams are going to get more money. But equally, you're, just, you're going to end up with, with burnout on, on some of these people. On, I mean, the team bosses. I mean, it's, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a woe is you. But, you know, I mean, the, the likes of Toto and Christian and people like that, they go to every single race. And, you know, they're going from Melbourne to Singapore to Mexico to Montreal. I mean, they're, they're literally all over the world every two weeks. And it's it's tough. I, I do have this conversation with Joe Sayward when he complains about, you know, having to jet around the world and watch F1 all the time. I'm like, oh, poor Joe, you know, come in, come in for a hug, Uncle Joe. But I understand, obviously, that, that does put a strain on people's lives and families. Uh, there is a good question from Ray Parker uh, that came in through on Twitter. It's quite Junior. Re- Ray Parker Junior. Is that, is that a reference I don't get? I'm too young. Ghostbusters. The um, Ghostbusters theme. Surely you're not that young. I'm, anyway, I'm, go on. As far as I'm concerned, Ghostbusters is a, a, a movie about ladies who, who capture ghosts. That's because uh, I'm I'm much younger than you guys. Uh, so uh, Ray, no reference. Parker says, "What is the likelihood that we will see Mr. Carter back in the paddock full time? Is it an ambition of yours to return to the circus, or for the reasons you stated, is it a bit of kind of a you know sick feeling of like, oh goodness, no? Uh, I I would never definitely say no. I think it's difficult, and, and, and again, I'm sure we've had this conversation before. You know, as from what I did." Um, as team principal, team boss, you know, there's only uh, 10 positions. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's only, I mean, you know, whether I would go back as a, as a, as a lesser position, I don't think so. So therefore there's only 10 positions. Um, uh, and wait a minute. Was, no, majority of them are... you're not right. There's only 10 positions as team principal, but there are potentially 13 spots for a team owner. That's where you come back next with Carter racing. Why 13? Oh, you mean because you can yeah. extra entrance? Yeah. Missed Apex Carter. Oh, dude, don't tease us. Come on, we've got some, we've got drivers coming out of our back pockets here. Van Jean and Philpot on the grid in F1. That'll be amazing. Red and white livery, please. Okay. If, if you could, if you theoretically, if you had the, the funding and the backing, would that ever tempt you to go, come on then, let's get an, let's get a car on the F1 grid. See what I can do. Um, I'm not sure. I, the thing is that I have always been of the opinion when I was at Lotus and even the, the, the brief spell at Manor that I think that an F1 team could be profitable if it was managed in the correct way. If if expectations were managed, if sponsors were dealt with, if um, if you pitched it in the right way, then I think it could be profitable. Um, even that said, I think you'd have to have a few screws loose to to <laughs> attempt it um and i think everyone that has i mean you look at the likes of eddie jordan and alan prost and all those people that attempted to do it they you know there's not many of them made that made any money most of them failed miserably um i thought you were gonna say yeah, eddie mean, jordan tried it and look at the look at the state he's in now i thought that's what you were gonna say and i was gonna defend well, eddie jordan that as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does seem quite stressful uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed, but I can see it. there's a little glint in your eye, perhaps, that, that says that maybe there's a chance. Uh, listen, I think I, I, as you know, and, and I'm sure you, it comes across, you know, I'm, I, I think the sport's a great sport. I think there's potential there. Um, it's also quite a messed up sport in terms of the business uh, model and the business structure. Uh, you need a big backer or a big company to, to back the team to make it work or a big sponsor. Or you need to set your standards much, much lower than they are. Um, and again, we, so we we touched briefly on on Williams earlier on, and I hope that Williams go with uh, go with Ocon and Russell. Uh, I'm not sure if they will. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if anything's been announced actually in the last few days. Is is Kubica? No, nothing. Well, well, no, no, so Matt, don't shake your heads. You 
You fool. Clearly what? he knows something and he's just trying to establish what has already been released in the media and you're tipping us off. T- tell us everything you know. What do you think? Okay, tell you what. No, I don't. I don't. I've do told you what I thought many, many times that I think uh, I think that Russell and Ocon would be the Williams drivers. I'm sure the last time we spoke, I think I said that. Um, yeah, Joe seems to agree. And I, th- I think that makes sense. I thought that I'd heard something recently that Kubica had managed to get the money together. My honest opinion is I think that would be that would be the wrong decision for Williams. If they can financially make it work with Ocon and Russell, then I think that would be a great little pairing for them. Uh, I think it would help to bring the car back round where it should be because um, I think they're getting a lot of misdirection from their two drivers at the moment. I love the chat room. They've just gone, Carter confirms Kubica. <laughs> Matt. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about Ocon a little bit and let's talk about Mercedes a little bit. Uh, everybody is saying that it's Botas who needs to be worried about his position. But do you think that Mercedes are grooming Ocon to come in and take over eventually for Botas? Or do you think they see him as a replacement for Lewis? And if so, if you were boss, how would you handle this? Uh, I, th- I think that they will replace Botas. Not sure who Botas is. They'll replace Botas with, um, with Ocon. Uh, next year, uh, sorry, 2020. Um, oh, that was maybe breaking that, news. I think that he and Hamilton will will be together in the team for a while, and then gradually, when Hamilton has won seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve titles, I where, wherever he goes, that Ocon will be the one that steps forward and becomes the the, the number one racer or the the number one in in that team. Uh, so you know, I don't I don't think they'll replace Hamilton with Ocon. Uh, until Hamilton gets to the point where he wants to, he's had enough and he wants to walk away and go and sell clothes and music or whatever he wants to do. Uh, that being said, we don't know what Russell's going to be like in the car. Russell could turn out to be a, a superstar and, and he could be the one that pushes it forward. Um, the same as Leclerc. Leclerc. It's Leclerc. At, uh, at Ferrari. Um, and Lando Norris at McLaren. You know, there, there's, there's, it's interesting. There's a, there's a whole wave of these young guys coming through and it suddenly makes Ocon look not quite so young and uh, and maybe he might get passed by. Uh, I think it's really important for him to be in a race seat next year and there's really only one left, which is which is Williams. Will you come back shortly into the off-season and just have a general chit-chat about what we think about the driver market and the, the winners and the losers out of 2018 and going forward into 2019? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. That'd be fantastic. No Matthew problem. Carter, thanks for joining us. You are definitely one of our most popular guests. The episodes that, that you um, that you come on for always generate loads of interest. It's fantastic. You have nothing to plug except your future upcoming Formula One team that you've already pretty much leaked here. Uh, but make sure you guys join us for our Abu Dhabi race review, which is next Sunday at 8pm. Uh, you can support us over the winter by staying subscribed, or you can even support us on Patreon by going to Patreon dot com forward slash missed apex and if you want to come i racing with us we've set up that session on tuesday at 8 p.m uk time just go to your i racing ui search for map race and the password is spanners so that's s-p-a-n-n-e-r-s all lowercase and you can come racing with us from 8 p.m if you want any more details or just to tip me off to expect you for that i race then email me spannersready at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook, Spanners Ready, or contact me on Twitter, at Spanners Ready. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex with Matthew Carter and all those revelations. 
Oh, what headlines have we got from that, Matt? Carter oh, yeah. reveals, ah. cu- confirms Kubica. We've got no, all sorts, haven't we? Said that. There's loads. <laughs> I tell you what, though, Matt, what we haven't done, yeah. and but. something that I have completely remembered and decided just to do after the show from now on, uh, is comment of the week. Comment of the week. And we have Mr. Carter here to help us pick a winner as well. Who are who are the nominees? Chris Fonseca, over the winter, we need a serious discussion about who our next stroll goat should be for 2019. Asterisk, scapegoat. Ah, our stroll goat. Why, why can't it still be stroll? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he, uh, he's going to be up against well, Perez. He's in for a hiding. Yes. No. Um, <laughs> he was in again with, I was once in front of Ocon in a queue in a hotel. At no point did he try to overtake me. Good. Good. Well, he knows the rules there. He was, he was not going to unlap himself in the hotel. Exactly. Uh, Craig Alderson then was in uh, regarding your um, moment of inspiration rap with, okay, that was the missed Apex dad dancing moment. Uh, Which unfortunately will get cut from the final video because it'll set off the copyright. So I've been saved there. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, breaking news, Maldonado wasn't actually a good f1 driver you never said that he wasn't a good racing driver well an amazing racing driver let's see how I said the, he wasn't consistent let's I mean, see what I said. let's see how the edit comes out <laughs> let's, let's have a little look at that me and steve will collaborate between the audio and video however can you pick a winner out of those mr carter i said the dad dancing one <laughs> although, although, no one, although no but one... if you could if you cut that out of the edit then it's not going to make any sense uh, no, it's fine, because the, the comment will be there where we refer to the bit it was cut out. And who knows? Uh, I, it's, all you've got to do is come to a Miss Apex karting event, and there's plenty of dad dancing to be seen. So that's Craig Alderson. You're the winner of... Comment of the Week. Now go home, you lot. Don't you have anything better to do? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.